This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. So I'm in L.A. again after being in Colorado for a few days, and uh, I'm not hating it quite as much because uh, I'm in Venice Beach. I can actually ride my bike around. It makes a whole, it makes a huge difference because I don't have to know where I'm going. You know, you can like just bike around and stop, lock it up, walk a few blocks. It's a whole different thing here. Plus, it's cooler. It's by the beach. So it's not quite as bad as it was last week. Yeah, I was trying to make a joke when I said I'd pray for you that you've been in Venice Beach last week because it's a very nice area where you are, Liz. It's one of the, it's super super nice. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's not most that people nice. Would kill let's to not, be there. Let's not let's not oversell it. it. It's all right, but just being able to ride the bike around and uh, I, I've found the taco truck last two days. I brought Sasha there. We we sat on a curb next to the truck on the street, ate the tacos, and uh, she liked it. She thought it was a good way to be. So I got them again today, four tacos and some ceviche, and nice. uh, it's a lot better. I feel like a human being again. Listen to the real the man, you're listening to the Real Man Wood podcast, Chris List, Dalton Del Don, back in L.A. after Colorado. It's, anyway, things could be worse. What, what about the weirdos? Is there a weirdo factor in that area? it got to be, yeah. I mean, compared to what, right? Yeah, Fair. That's fair. Compared but, to who uh, I do a podcast with, compared to who I do a radio show with, I mean, let's keep it keep it in perspective. Yeah, I um, I think I I can't remember where I heard this, but um, I think we're talking about you were concussed or something. List is that right? I did, I did get. I think I got concussed. I didn't go to the doctor because, as I've said before, given the cost of healthcare in the U.S., I'm only going to the doctor if I'm vomiting blood, and I wasn't vomiting blood, so I I didn't go. But basically, uh, I was in Colorado's first night we got there, had a couple beers, and was pretty tired. And then the altitude, I guess alcohol affects you a little bit more strongly in the altitude. We're in Boulder. Sure. And I don't, know what, I don't know if you know what these things are. They're like hoverboards or something they're called. It's like a skateboard, but it's, it's not really a skateboard. You just put your feet on it. It's kind of like a, a Segway, but with no handheld part. It's just like you control it with your legs. Mm-hmm. And you see people on the street with them. And uh, Sasha was doing it, and she was doing all right with it. So I was like, oh, let me try this. But I was conscientious that I'm, you know, five foot ten, 186 pounds, and I, you know, I didn't really, I'm not really, it's not really designed for me. So I stepped on it very carefully, got my balance, started moving on it, and uh, Heather's brother's wife was there, and she's like, oh, you're doing really good. Can you make it go in a circle? So I did. I started doing it in the other circle, and I was like satisfied with myself. I was like, oh, I did this. This wasn't that bad. And then I went to step off of it, 
and I guess I, you know, I took one leg off and the other leg, thing has wheels, right? Totally out from under me, fall backwards. And thing is, when you're falling forward, you can always get your hands or arms out. When you're falling f- straight backwards where the wheels go out from under you, there's not a whole lot you can do <laughs> to stop yourself. So I just went from fully standing to flat on my head and back in one fell swoop. Heather said it was the loudest noise she'd heard since she was in Tribeca during 9-11 and heard first plane crash. It's the loudest noise she'd heard since that. That you was know, your skull? That was my back and skull. I don't know. You know, all I know is I, I felt like I saw like a flash, you know, like a bright flash. And I was a little dazed. And next thing I know, Heather was there being like, are you okay? Are you okay? We, we, maybe we should go to the hospital. And I was like, nah, I think I'm all right. And I think I might have blacked out for a second or two because she couldn't have gotten into the room. They were in the right. next room. It would have taken a couple seconds to get over there. So I was a little stiff for the next few days and maybe a little dizzy. I felt a little nauseous that night. I didn't throw up, though. Um, but also the altitude has similar effects, so it's hard to tell. And so I'm assuming, this is six days ago, that I'm not going to pull into Tasha Richardson or anything like that, hopefully, and I'll survive. But, uh, and I hope I don't have some chronic brain damage, although you might not be able to tell with me. Yeah, I nearly ate it the last time I was on a bird scooter, so I can't make too much fun of you on a Back to the Future sounding hoverboard. I'm sure I would have suffered a similar fate, but uh, yeah, luckily that's not... I was crushing it, man. I was enjoying it. I was like, oh, I got this. Look at my balance is good. And then I just got cocky, and I just wasn't careful getting off, and I just wiped the fuck out. I mean, it was it was a bad fall. I mean, doesn't seem like I'm that hurt. My, my ribs are still a little sore. I think probably I hit my back first and then whiplashed my head. You know what I mean? I think that's probably what happened. Hopefully. I didn't even have a bump on my head. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. That's probably the case, but uh, hopefully you didn't nail your head too hard. That sounds rough if that's that's your skull, but she heard a sound that bad. Uh, I don't know if it was my back or my skull. It's, it's, you know, good thing I'm so jacked because my back just took it and I didn't really damage myself. Sure. Um, so what, I think you're, how, how's your baseball teams doing before we get into football? I want to talk mostly football. So I, I've been looking at it on and off. Let me just check right now and update. I think I was in sixth place in the overall, the one that you and I bet on. Sixth place. Nice. Sixth. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I was up I was like the, 19th and I was at that? 14th and now I'm in sixth. I just lost Ramon Laureano and, uh, Yohan Moncada, but I got depth. It's not a big deal. What's the payout? A hundred? Is the payout? 125. Yeah. That'll work. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's still a mar- you know we're in the marathon and we're like mile sixteen, so there's a lot to go. But um, if you have Greg, if you have Greg on your radio show this week, you should you should tell him that you're doing well. You should let him know. I will. He talks shit like I'm not doing well or I have no chance. I'm in sixth <laughs> place. And here's the other thing, is that was a league where I took Severino third, and with my third pick, and I think right. I'm almost positive Bellinger was still on the board. Like it would just be game over if I had taken Bellinger instead of Severino. But it's easy to say that with a lot of picks. No, that's 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 pretty good. That's that's legit. So that's by far the team you're most pumped for and, and following the close, closest. Yeah, my other NFBC main team was in first for a while. Now it's slipped to second, but I still think I have the I'm the favorite to win that one too. So I lost Joey Gallo, which sucks. I thought I could make a yeah. run. I thought I could make a run in the overall too. I still think so. I picked up a lot of like Jake Lamb, Michael Frankel, Tyler O'Neill, like just power types because I'm low in power, and finally Jose Ramirez is starting to hit. But uh, I lost Gallo, and this is exactly the worst thing. You know, it's just just when my team's making a run in power, I lose my best power hitter. Yeah, I lost him a couple leagues too. Brutal. He was so good too. Um, well, nice list. You're doing your baseball. You're 
complained for so many months and look at you here right so funny it's so funny that i was bitching so i've never bitched this much until this year i was so annoyed by the underperformance of my teams and you know now it's in sixth place i mean you know whatever it's a couple months away the over under for a team in sixth place on july 31st is probably like 30th you know like on average so got to keep it going but i lost a lot of guys funny like you know i lost rich hill i lost frankie montas i just lost moncada the dl i just lost loriano I mean, I lost Severino for the whole year. I've been mostly lucky with injuries. My first two picks were Verla- were uh, Acuna and Verlander, and that's really those guys have really held up. Yeah, monsters. Um, do you uh, have any hot trade deadline takes? Not really. I, I I will give myself credit on the XM show today. I raised the possibility of Zach Granke being dealt, and nobody nobody's been talking about him. It's all it was all Mad Bum, and I was like, why not Granke? He's only got two years left on the deal. He's really good. He's earning the money. And, uh, and then a couple hours later, the Astros pulled the trigger on it. Yeah, I know. Greggy's a fun player just to watch. Of, uh, I mean, the crazy hair. It sucks, though. He has like a 900 OPS batting. He won't bat any longer. But um, he's, I think he also leads the league by a lot in like the most epist pitches thrown, fewer than 75 miles per hour. But, yeah, I think that I was looking into it. I just shot some video. For Yahoo before about the trade deadline. It wasn't too many exciting things. But yeah, Arizona has like the best defense according to Fangraphs metrics, and his Babip is super low, so that'll hurt. But obviously he'll be joining a much better offense. But Grinky's like a top twenty fantasy player already this year, though. It's not like he can, you know, increase his value too much. But as far as real baseball Astros, terms, yeah, no, the Astros, yeah. I, I think his value goes up. I mean, good strikeout park, he's gonna get yeah. tons of wins, good defense. It's a that's a good place to pitch. Yeah, no, it certainly, yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt him. Whatever. Like I said, Plus they doing, cheat, doing really you know, they well. cheat. It's really good. Spin rate, no, the spin rate for sure. Um, actually, the I don't know if it's a humidor or whatever, but Chase Field's been really suppressing run scoring this year. But good call with the with the Granky. And as a Giants fan, you know, I think I heard you allude to this a little bit. Um, this is actually one other thing we're talking about in baseball. I want your opinion because I, I did hear you a little bit talk about XM. Is I, I've actually softened on just the hard stance as far as if all the stat heads, just like a team like the Giants should be 100% sellers. And not just from like a local fan type aspect. I, isn't there something to being in the thick of it this late in the year and comparing like overall uh, your, your, your point, diff- your run scoring differential? It doesn't make sense when the team's so different now. So I, I think you were kind of leaning that way as well. Yeah, Liz? Yeah, I think if you're two games out at the trade deadline, you don't sell. You might not like trade some prospects and buy, but at least you rolled what you have and, and compete. I mean, the, the way these these guys are thinking, it's like, oh well, if you're a big underdog, you shouldn't even bother to compete. That's basically the the argument, right? Like, oh, you're a big underdog, so you know it's like only one in ten that you make the playoffs, or one in seven that you make the playoffs, right? You're two games out. There's a bunch of other teams right around you to make a wild card. It's like one in seven, and then if you make the playoffs, it's one in you know. 20 or whatever, one in 16, but probably one in 20 or one in 25 because your team's worse that you win the World Series. So just not worth it. It's not worth trying. And I kind of think, no, like that's, that means like you're only allowed to be, it's, it'd be like in the NFL being like, well, if you're more than a seven point underdog, just rest your starters, like prolong their careers, you know, or something. It's just stupid. Like the, 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 the mindset is bad. I, I get it. That there's a line where you have to draw. If you're 10 games out, if it's one in a million that you win the World Series, okay. Maybe you want to sell and get something for your depreciating assets. But, you know, if it's one in 20 that you win a World Series, one in 30. I mean, look, it's only one in eight for the favorite. You, right. you got you to understand. You can't compare one in 30 to like a sure thing. It's one in 30 to like one in eight. I mean, the Astros are like one in seven, one in six, you know, after the trades. It's not like they're 
the favorite versus the field. Maybe you could say they're one in five. But you're only, you know, if you're one in 25 or one in 30 and they're one in five, I mean, you're in it. You're in it and you, you got to play for it. I think if you're one in a thousand, one in a million, then okay, yeah. fine. And, and I just think the mentality is just defeatist. So what? You're an underdog. So play harder. Like, well, you're Pythagorean. You shouldn't even be this good. Yeah, but you could play better than your Pythagorean going forward. You know, you can play into your luck. Sometimes teams, you see this happen. Team gets lucky, makes the playoffs, and then plays better than their regular season level. I just think it applies to life also. Like, don't, don't be so, you know, if you're analyzing the odds all the time, oh, I'll never make money. I'll never make it as an actor. You know, everybody, it's like one in a million. I'll just end up waiting tables. So most of the people don't make it, I think, because they're faking it. They want to be an actor because they want to be rich and have all these women lusting after them. But they don't really care about acting per se. It's not like something they really enjoy. They wouldn't like go do a play for no money that was like a well-written play because they enjoy it. So like 90% of the field is just faking it anyway. So if you're serious, you do it. And it doesn't guarantee you anything, but you know, you have a shot and you give it your best shot. And like I think like that type of thinking where you look at the numbers and the odds. Oh, why open a restaurant? Most of them close within five years. Why do anything? The odds are against it. It's just, it's just cowardly, man. You, you got a shot. You're in it. You haven't lost yet. You're not out of it yet. Try. The, this, the, you know, when they say stats have ruined the game, I, I don't agree with that totally. But in this kind of thinking, yeah, this ruins the game. If you're a total nutless monkey and, oh, my odds are 1 in 30, we've got to sell. Yeah, I'm leaning more more that way or certainly open to it. The wild card game hurts, and, and the other argument would be that there are just loaded teams, unlike uh, many times ever before in the game. But, I mean, this it's is baseball. baseball. It's, yeah. it's not football or basketball. I mean, especially you get basketball. Tournament. I mean, it is wide open. Yeah, football is wide open, basketball. too. But basketball is the only one. Because the stupid yeah. – basketball is the combination. Yeah, I guess football is. Here's, here's the issue. Football – it is definitely dominant, but they're small sample, one game. Okay, so that's what makes football volatile. And those one and two seeds with buys just really do make the Super Bowl almost every year, late, at least late. But I hear you. Right, but you know the Ravens won the Super Bowl, the Giants won it twice. I mean, it happens. Sure, and you sure. can't just sure. give that away. But basketball is the one where if you're an eight seed, you're just never going to win unless you're an eight seed because LeBron was hurt and he came back in the last week, or you know, I mean, unless you're like not really an eight seed. But if you're a true eight seed who just barely made it with it full strength. I mean, I would say it's like one in a thousand that you win against those super teams that are winning 60 games despite resting their guys a third of the season. And well, yeah, only only two eight seeds have ever won, I believe. or what, Only one in a seven-game series was that Warriors over the Mavs or whatever. Right, but, you just yeah. won one series, and that was it. One that. series. Right, exactly. they don't even, it's not like hockey where anyone can win. you know. So, or baseball is not as crazy as hockey, but it's pretty crazy. And football is a little less crazy, but still it can happen. But basketball... You have the two things. You have the huge number of attempts per game, the huge number of possessions, so that the discrepancy in talent really pans out over a large sample. And right. then you've got seven-game series. So you've got both. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so it's impossible. And you have such a you know, small number of players, so the talent discrepancy is it's felt really, you know, it's, 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 there's the team yeah. cohesion is something, but it's the individuals matter more in NBA. My San Francisco Giants won three World Series in five years, and they were underdogs in every single series. There were fa slight favorites in one of the wild card games, but they were underdogs in every single series. Uh, so I'm leaning with you, and the Giants are a crazy example this year. Obviously, they're not 
you know, a great team, but it's crazy how much they've been winning. And it's interesting what they're doing, you know, trading some bullpen for some help now. And uh, I like like Trevor Bauer getting traded with the Reds. So uh, at least some outside the box thinking going on. Yeah, the Marlins outside the box dealing way pitching prospects, but <laughs> that's, that was a little weird. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's usually I, it's the Diamondbacks trading them away. You know, they didn't believe in Scherzer; he couldn't hold up. They didn't believe in Bauer, but now they're getting Gallon. I really like Gallon, and I'm a, like I'm saying, a Giants fan. I don't like him joining the NOF. But it's just weak to like sit there and tell a, a major league team that's two games out, no, you need to quit right now. You don't have a chance. Like that's just like that's crazy. My yeah. spreadsheet no, says I, you, you guys need to quit. You professionals have done this your whole life. You need to not play even though you're two games out because no, I hear you're you. unlikely to win. You're unlikely. It's just, that's like a it, corrosive type of thinking. Right. And I think my main point I want to bring up too is there, there's just a sect out there that think it's a, this is a black and white issue. You know, like this is the, the, your team like that is flat out dumb if they're not looking to sell. And I think it's a, a far more gray area than I, that. I, I, so, don't think, I don't think it's gray. I think if you're two games out, you play. And you know what? If you end up seven, eight games out in two weeks, then, okay, it didn't pan out, but you took a shot. I mean, that's it. It's not, I don't think it's, I think it's gray if you're like three and four. I mean, I think there's a point at which it gets grayer, you know, when you're five, four games out, four and a half games out. I think at that point, okay, maybe, you know, maybe you want to, it's, it's just too daunting, but two games out just seems, that's insane. Totally fair. All right. Before I want to ask you about some, some movers on my, uh, fantasy football board probably mostly backs uh uh one thing i wrote down uh drew Brees. i i, I something someone canceled their rotowire subscription because right. of your drew Brees ranking true or false i think true i got i got an email from jake latarski who runs our customer service stuff and he said chris obviously you know you're gonna rank him how you rank him and i don't mind the out of the box thinking but i had this guy complain and quit because he just doesn't like that drew Brees is our 23rd quarterback can you at least give me the argument to make? So I did. I said his last five games, he wasn't very good. His YPA was low. He did not even throw three touchdowns in any of them. He had a couple one-touchdown games, a zero-touchdown game against Dallas. And he's 40. He doesn't run. He did get four sneaks last year. I think that's a little fluky. I gave him two this year. He does sneak it sometimes, but can't count on four. Uh, his attempts are way down. The Saints are a run-first team. They like to play defense and run. All that's done for them is get them one Stephon Diggs fluke play away from getting into the NFC Championship, which they may have won against the Eagles, you never know, and one non-call on a pass interference, which was obvious, that would have gotten for the Super Bowl, which they may have won, you never know. So this new style is suiting them. It's working. They want to run more. You've got an old, he's four, you know, Breeze is 40 this year. You've got an old quarterback who doesn't run, who doesn't throw a ton of attempts. He is very efficient, at least into the last five games, including the playoffs, but I just... That's not the guy I want to draft. I don't I, give me uh, Lamar Jackson. Give me uh, Kyler Murray. Give me any of these run first upside. Give me Dak Prescott, who runs a bit now has Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup in year two. Give me somebody with a little bit more upside. I don't see Breeze having it. Yeah, no, forty years old doesn't run nor has the volume anymore. So I certainly understand. I mean, that is probably the lowest in the industry, but still, I. I get it, and I mostly brought it up because the guy canceled the sub about it. But that is definitely a fair defense. I mean, quarterback is just crazy deep. I mean, you mentioned Dak Prescott. I have him ranked too low for someone who's, what, has he been a top 12 fantasy QB every time? Six rushing touchdowns every year. I mean, it is it is so, so deep. So I agree. Mitch Trubisky, Jameis Winston, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, there's a million guys. You know, it's, it's deeper yeah. than it's ever been. That's the other thing. It's not 23 doesn't mean anything. 23 two years ago might be 16 
It just happens to be 23. I have Derek Carr ahead of him because I think Derek Carr is going to throw like 590 attempts. It's just, it's just hard to compete when you're 50 attempts short, 60 attempts short. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm doing this uh, Raz Bowl uh, draft. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I'm positive you're not in it. Um, you you yep. shun these industry far too good for these uh, industry uh, leagues. But uh, too big time. So I got, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll check in with the Raz, Raz Bowl guys. Um, the, uh, so I got the sixth pick which I've alluded to you before, it seems like kind of a nightmare for my board. And the big five went, I just went ahead and took the guy on my board six. I think you somehow got him uh, like 25 picks later somehow. But I took Chubb at, at sixth overall. Um, and frankly, I just, I don't know. I, I, at the, the risk of him not coming back, uh, and, and it seems to me like he's getting more and more aggressively drafted. Uh, what are your thoughts on me taking Chubb that high? I think it's fine if the second guy you you liked next would was just as far back. So uh, Lindy Hinkleman is one of the best players of all time in the NFBC. He took, it was a few years ago, he took Starling Marte and George Springer with his first two picks, and those guys were second and third round ADPs respectively. But the thing was, his next pick in the third was late third. So he wasn't going to get those guys late third. So right. if those were the two highest guys on his board, it didn't really matter which ones he took, what order, but he had to just get the two guys. But if there were like another high guy he was really high on, that wouldn't be there in, you know, that, that, well, there's nothing he could do. If there's a guy that he was higher on than those other guys, fine. But if those are two highest and, and the guys you took were your two highest guys that wouldn't be there in round three, then it doesn't matter. But if there was a guy who was like your eighth overall guy that you could have gotten in the first round where Chubb was sixth and you thought there was like a 40 or 50% chance Chubb would come back, I think you should have done that. It's, it's just the only way you don't do that is if you think Chubb is so much higher than your next choice that the risk is just not worth it. So here's why it actually makes sense for me. I mean, it might not make sense in the, uh, ultimately, but uh, in round two, I got Damian Williams, who's my number seven overall player. I so, I, I mean, see. for me, it's just like, I right. mean, why, it was like I mean what am I going to do? It was like Lindy. Yeah. It was like so, those two guys were, you like them better than the ADP, and you just had to figure out which order was most likely to get both, basically. And, and, you, and you got and it. I, so. And, and, you know, back, I think earlier, like maybe Damian Williams was going round three, but I don't think so anymore. Maybe this hamstring injury pushes him there. So anyway, that's what I did there and probably got the least, you know, I certainly did not get any value there with those picks. But I don't know. I decided that's just I'm still going to go. And I guess it makes more sense with if, if round two, I have another guy high. Um, I ended up going George Kittle in round three. And I don't know if I would do that uh, moving forward in other drafts, how, it, how it's shaken out since. But um I wanted to ask you about a few. Uh, wow, you got like everybody I got in the NFPC, but like way earlier. Earlier. So you got right. Chubb at six. I got him at 24. You got Kittle in the yep. third round. I got him, well, first pick of the fourth, 37. It's pretty funny. And when I already got Kittle, like Ertz and Kel- obviously Kelsey, but Ertz was already off the board too. So I don't feel like I was, you know, going crazy as far as that ends too. Um, so uh, other, other guys uh, that I've of note that I've been moving up my or move up or down my draft board, most of these guys are a eh, couple down. So I've moved Aaron Jones all the way to number nine on my running backs behind the aforementioned Chubb, Williams, and Connor. Am I crazy? Am I just falling for it again? I just thought about it more like no one's even drafting Jamal Williams at the end of drafts. And sometimes these puff pieces mean something, you know, 5.3 body percent fat. And, you know, they're going to throw to him. I don't know. Am I being a sucker? But that's, right now I have Aaron Jones as my number nine back. No, I, I mean, it's pretty close. I, I have, and you're talking about PPR, right? Yeah, so, I rank half PPR. So okay, split well, I've, I mean, I could change it to half to see where everyone ends up, but um, 
I'll look at my half PPR rankings, even though that's just kind of Yahoo is the only one that does that. But I have Aaron so Jones. I always, always, I would like to do that anyway. It just splits the difference, you know. But I mean, I got you. Some, some yeah. players that's going to affect more than others. So I got Aaron Jones at fourteen and half PPR. It's weird. Marlon Mack really shoots up. I didn't realize. That. I don't really like Marlon Mack that much. I guess because I, I have him really low in PPR. But you take away the receiving aspect, they gave him a lot of touchdowns on a really good offense. So that's interesting. That, uh, Funny you well, say that because I have Mac right next, 10th in my okay. half PPR. All right, so, so I have him 13th, uh, and I have Jones 14th. So tell me who – I'm sure I, I'm going to figure out who it is, but I've got Chubb at 7, Connor at 8, Mixon at 9, Melvin Gordon at 10, Gurley at 11. You probably have Gurley and Gordon lower. Damian Williams 12, Marlon Mack 13, Aaron Jones 14. Yeah, so where do um, – yeah, okay. All that's nitpicking. I don't think it – yeah, I mean that's not crazy. The Aaron Jones that I've bumped up a little. Where do you have Le'Veon Bell? That's the guy who I have five far lower than most. So he's not going to end up on any of my teams. I moved him down to 13th. Um, I, I don't know. I just – maybe Adam Gase was running. He's like whatever. He's finished last in, in, in ran plays in two of the last three years. Maybe that was because of the personnel – and maybe he'll just – it'll be okay that he doesn't want Bell on his team. But I don't know. I just got a bad feeling. He sat out all last year, was out of shape. Um, he's in shape now, though. I, you see yeah, the videos he's been uh, releasing? Yeah, and he's – you know, he apologized to fantasy owners. So um, I get it. I get it. Maybe the volume's there. And I actually like Sam Darnold. But um, he, he's going to be doing that on someone else's fantasy. You have him fifth. So you are you have him fifth ahead of David Johnson, then I'm guessing. I'm ahead of uh, Christian McCaffrey in half PPR, I just realized. I just do the projections, right? So then I look it up at the end. And I'm I like, got oh, I never look at half PPR. I got you. I got Full you. PPR, McCaffrey is super high. I think I put him ahead of Zeke even. Or he's three or four. But uh, I downgraded Zeke slightly with the uh, – a holdout. But, yeah, I mean, McCaffrey's going to get, like, I have him for 211 carries. 4.6 yards per carry. That's 978. That's good, 4.6. 211 carries. Eight rushing touchdowns. Three receiving touchdowns. I mean, I gave McCaffrey a lot. And I gave him 87 catches for 711 yards. But that's sixth. That's below Bell. Because Bell has 64 catches, 544 yards. And he has 1,233 rushing yards. He has 287 carries to McCaffrey's 211. Yeah, uh, he played 16 games one time in his career. Um, I don't know, man. It was such an th- awesome system he was in in Pittsburgh. I, I know he's a real fun player to he's watch. He's really good. I mean, and amazing. Bell is really good. Super, super fun. He's, he's a good super, pass catcher. He's smooth. He's in shape. He's got no wear and tear from last year. And he just has that patience. When you watch him play, he stands there. That he hits pause on the defense. He rearranges himself, and then he finds the opening. Now, that skill is going to translate. I don't, I don't see that skill going away. Yeah, he's going to need it. It's a definitely a tough uh, offensive line there. Well, if he stays healthy and all the volume, fine. I mean, even if he's not back to his old prime, uh, I, I, I got it. So I, I, I'm aware that I'm the weirdo here. I'm, I'm speaking of weirdos. I'm the guy certainly low. You know, I cannot figure out my top my top four. Even I just could be talked to him at all. Of them. I mean, how? What do you? Like, obviously, you like Barkley, but that situation is just going to be. Such a test, man. Losing those right. No, well, that, that doesn't. I don't. I don't. I don't even see that argument. I. I don't even right. understand the argument. What you just said. I, I think the Giants are not going to score many points, and they're not going to make many red zones. I don't agree. So I think they're going to be very, agree. very bad. I don't agree. Oh. I think their offense is league average. Their defense is below league average. They're going to project as like a five and a half, six win team. But the offense is seven, eight wins. The defense is four or five wins, basically. And. They're going to move the ball. Their offensive line is better than last year. 
where he had seven 40-yard carries behind one of the league's worst offensive lines. Now it's probably at least league average, maybe better. The system is easy. Shermer, short passes. He's been a good system guy, offensive mind for his stint in the NFL. You really care that Golden Tate's missing four games or that Sterling Shepard probably be ready for week one, but he missed some reps in preseason? Corey Coleman, that's kind of sad for him, but, I mean, come on, Corey Coleman was an afterthought. He was a guy that got for nothing, basically. They picked him up. I, I thought he was going to be helpful, but, I mean, come on. They still have Ingram. They still have Barkley. They're going to have Shepard basically the whole year. They're going to have Golden Tate for three-quarters of the year. Who cares which scrub receivers fill in? I, I think it's totally it's nothing to do with Barkley. Barkley's going to have a huge workload. He's the most talented running back of all time, and he's going to catch the ball a ton, and it's going to be easy pitch and catch. Even Eli can't screw it up that much. Yeah, I'm mostly worried about losing Odell Beckham Jr. at wide receiver, not really those other scrubs that they replaced him with. That's the problem. They're all scrubs. And uh, starting Eli Manning, you know, yet another year for their uh, aged and, and horrific or or the rookie Daniel Jones. I it's mean, a, it's, Eli it's Manning's a, it's bad. It's going to be a bottom five offense in the NFL in my opinion. No, I no way. I'll bet you. I'll bet you, I'll bet you their points scored are – I'll tell you what, bottom five is, is too strict. I'll say it's not bottom ten. How about that? You'll say that, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah, I was definitely going extreme. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. I'll, 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 take I'll that say bet. it's twenty. It's it's twenty second or better in points scored. Point points per game. Okay. All right. Done. Fifty bucks. Sure. Will you email me that? Yeah. I'll write it. Yes. Now, now, why did I say fifty and not twenty? Do you know why? Uh, why is that? Because my that... tax thing came in yesterday. We're all good. Oh, congratulations, Liz. Awesome news. Yeah, wow. It's big. Wow. Very it's big. Deep. I'm a new man. I'm a new man. That is whole, totally different. What did it, so what did it say? I mean, it, it gives said some they granted it. We got till 2027 paying the just U.S. taxes. Oh. Oh, huge news. Not, for, uh, not owing three years of back taxes and going forward paying oh. you know much higher rate. Not Huge news for U.S. citizens as well, man. Awesome. You will not be rejoining us in town for a while. No, <laughs> exactly. exactly. The plague will stay overseas. So what do you think Eli Manning's YPA was last year? Just don't just guess. Top of head. Top oh, of your head. Uh, 6.8. Yeah, this is why you're going to lose this bet. 7.5. Was it 7.5? Okay, he had uh, Beckham though, right? What was his? What do you think yeah, his YPA? Beckham, but he, you know, Beckham was out for four Beckham. games. Beckham was missed it? four games last year. Dude, it's YPA the year before was 6.1. I'm just looking now. Obviously, I was, was not looking before is my bad guess. Yeah, with, Beckham out, with Beckham out, they had played at Washington 9.0, Tennessee 5.2, at Indy 9.4, Dallas 7.3. All right. So. I, I, think, I think it's nitpicking myself anyway, but I, I just, I'm mostly worried about that situation more. And I think McCaffrey, Kamara, and Elliott, assuming he signs, or just, you know, that would be my tiebreaker, is all I'm saying. No, it, and you're, you're it's a giant. PPR, but you can't take McCaffrey over Saquon in half PPR. That's insane. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, okay. let's just do the numbers. I mean, McCaffrey's going to get how many carries would you project McCaffrey for? I don't do the projections like you. I know, uh, but I mean, come on. I mean, just off the top of your head. I mean, McCaffrey, I don't know what you, two, 210. Right. <laughs> That's actually right what I have him at. Um, and then how many would you project? Project Saquon for him. How high can you go? How can you how high can you safely project the running back? Um, I don't know. Can you do two eighty? Yeah, that's that's what I gave him. I gave him um, two eighty three. Yeah. Okay. So I gave him two hundred eighty three, and so you get two ten twenty. The seventy three carries difference. 
Now, yeah, multiply that it? multiply that by, you know, I gave Saquon 4.9 yards per carry because he gets so many big plays. So multiply that by five yards. That's 350 yards. And how about rushing Isn't, touchdowns? Who's going to get more, Barkley or, or McCaffrey? Barkley isn't like projecting or expecting, you know, 95 more rushes. Though also, you have to, you know, increase that injury risk as well. I would say if it's, you know a guy's going to get worked. Yeah, I mean, a little bit, sure. So there's a little, you know, they're slightly higher injury risk, sure, for Barkley. Yeah, no, no, no Barkley's out. Absolutely, is his his touches are like out of control. Possibility so and efficiency. Can rely on him fi- on like but hanging. his touches are out of control. But so is his efficiency. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be able to maintain it with this with this season, but yes, he'll break some long ones. How many, how many yards per carry did Saquon average running behind arguably a bottom five offensive line last year? Oh, That's no, I'm improved. sure it was. He had a very good rookie season with Odell 5. Beckham. 5.0. 5.0. As a teammate, yes. With Beckham Odell Beckham team is not really helping uh, Saquon. 12 games of Odell Beckham is not materially changing Saquon's yards per carry. I promise you that. How many targets did he have last year, Saquon? Oh man, I don't know. Um, I don't know, hundred ish. Hundred and twenty one. How many passes did he catch last year? Uh, it was a lot, probably like mid eighties or something. Ninety one. Yeah. No, I know he had a great rookie year. He's a really awesome player. I know, but his the situation was worse last year than it's going to be this year for him. I'm not sure if that's true. Is what I, okay? That's just we just disagree with that premise. It's like begging the question or whatever. I just don't believe that that the 38 year old Eli Manning. I think it might be really. You ugly. think the 37 to 38 Jones. is the decline phase for Eli? This is where he. Yeah, yes, Daniel Jones behind him now. Absolutely, I think there's a really good chance we see half a season of some horrific quarterback play from the rookie. That's gonna, I think that's the matter. most likely. It's, it's, not it's the most likely scenario, in fact, is that it's not going to matter. It's going to be. Dick I, and I'm not telling you not to draft Barkley. I'm just telling you I like those other three slightly better because be of this horrific monkey. situation he's in. Don't be a nutless monkey. Just take Barkley. Don't don't overthink it. Okay. All right. Other guys that I'm again, congratulations on your tax situation. Um, but other guys that wanted to ask you that, that I moved up is what about Carryon Johnson? I have him 15th now in my half PPR backs. Yeah, Do I? Let me switch to half PPR again. It defaults to PPR. I have Carryon Johnson seventeen, but I see the case now that Riddick is gone. That's huge. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I was on I was on the radio show with Joe Bartle, and he was he said he liked Carryon Johnson. I'm like, what do you like about him? I mean, he's good, but Riddick's got third down. C.J. Anderson's a threat at the goal line. It's not a good team. Like, what's he's really talented, but he's like Fred Taylor on the Jaguars, where Maurice Jones Drew did all the valuable stuff, the scoring and the receiving. But now that Riddick is gone. Now we're talking about a three-down back. He may give away some goal line carries, but maybe not. And now you've got a three-down monster, potentially. He's really good. I don't know if he can hold up. Oh, really good. Yeah. I don't know if he can hold up. That's the the issue is, you know, he was hurt a bunch last year. But if he can, he could could easily be a top-five back. I mean, he could – he has the skills and the role now. Yeah, well, it's tough trusting Detroit. It sure sounds like they want to run the ball and then run the ball again, which should help his fantasy value. Yeah, he looked really good. Passed the eye test like crazy as a rookie. Um, all right, next guy I want to ask you about is Tevin Coleman. Am I being a homer because he's slowly creeping up my board? I'm 23rd back right now. I mean, McKinnon still dealing with that knee issue. Matt Breed is like really good and like one of the fastest players in all of football, but he is so, so injury prone. And if I really do think the 49ers are going to have such a good offense – uh, I don't know, man. I mean, Coleman, am I, am I being a homer? 23? I'm 27, so I'm not too far behind in half PPR. Yeah, it's just the competition, how much he'll be used. He's never really been used as a feature back ever. 
as like the guy for extended period of time. So I don't know if they have him pigeonholed as a timeshare guy. I think likely with Brita and some version of McKinnon there. It's just there's upside. Like he could be the guy, but I think it's much more likely that he gets like 100 and I have for 163 carries and 40 catches. And that's just not enough to get too excited about, no matter how good he is. Fair. Um, what about Miles Sanders? Obviously, neither of us are big college guys. Um, I remember the one stat it flashed when the Eagles drafted him. The, by far the worst fumble percentage in college football. There's a lot of uh, running backs in college football. But obviously, he's been falling out of control, apparently, in practices. Jordan Howard is such a ham and agar who's terrible at receiving, and the Eagles have Super Bowl upside. So I said, uh, why not? I moved him up recently to 25th on my backs. Uh, what say you? I have him in 55th. <laughs> I have him super well, low. So but that's I, a difference. There, there we go. I don't, I don't really believe so. I mean, I'll, I could move him up 10 spots just because I probably will. And maybe it's an outlier. But, I mean, Jordan Howard, I have as the favorite to win that job. He's got 188 carries, 832, and 7 TDs. And then it's committee anyway. So I'll move him up a little bit just because it's less settled. That's probably a little too low. But I'm not. Yeah, he, he I, just I went in. In this Raz Bowl league I'm in, he just went in the seventh round right after Sony Michelle and Kenyon Drake. And before I took Penny right after. But yeah, that's pretty low, 55th. That's pretty down. Right, You're I'm, down move, on I'm moving him up. I'm moving him up. It's not that I'm down on him. It's just, I just don't really see a, a big role for him. You know, it's like I. I, I mean, he's a, he could be a three down back with very little competition. I mean, they, they moved up to get him too, didn't they? I mean, he's by far the most talented physically. Yeah, but I just moved him up. But I guess I guess my we all my, make mistakes, Liz. We all make mistakes. No, that no, was, I, I, I just I see the Eagles as a committee, like a serious committee led by Howard. Yeah, well, both those still though the upside he's got to be drafted. I mean, he's going to yeah, that fifty five is too low. But all right, stick with your Howard. No, no, I Howard moved him. I moved him up to fifty just now. Yeah. But that's a half PPR. He's higher in PPR. Howard does have his moments. I mean, he's not horrible actually. But um, no, Howard's I good. Don't, Howard's pretty good. He just has stone hands. All right, in full PPR with the adjustment, he is now. No, that was before. He's, he was 49. He's going to be like, I got to look. In, it takes like 10 minutes for the site to take. All right. All right. I'll, I'll take a look. I'll, I'll take a look. Okay. Anyway, keep talking. All right. I'll find it. Next up is Drake, man. I swear you talked me back into him. 46. I got, I got Sanders at 46 in PPR. Lying up your board. Yep. Oh, exactly. uh, really talked you into him. Uh, Drake, man, I swear you talked me back into him after I hyped him last year, spent far too high picks on him. And then I take him in the Yahoo mock draft, I think at the end of the third round. And then like, it doesn't get released that draft like a week later. And then the ballage news came out. I look like such a donkey, but it's funny. Uh, where, what have you done with him? I mean, should you, I mean, is it overrating preseason bullshit or a new coaching staff? Same old deal. I haven't moved him because of that. I've still been 17th in PPR. I don't like half PPR. I'm just talking PPR. It just, I calibrate my, my rings to PPR. So they're all out of whack when I start looking at half PPR. I'm not even, that's not what, I just don't even do it that way. So it's. I, I don't care. Tell me your PPR ranking. Tell me whatever ranking you would draft a player. 17 for, among running backs for Drake. Okay. Ahead, wow, of, Mar- ahead of Marlon Mack. Ahead of Marlon Mack. Okay, so you're taking zero uh, interest into this. Uh, he may not start. You don't really care about what happened last year. Why? I, this is just noise. These are, these are like reporters looking at the practices being like, oh, Kalen Balaj is with the first team. They, I mean, they practice different looks. I mean, who cares? 
they're probably both of them will get carries. No one's getting all the carries, so necessarily Balage or Ballage, I would call him Balage. I don't know. You probably said it right, Balage. Yeah, Balage, doing some Ballage. Uh, he's he's gonna that dude's gonna be he's gonna be involved with the first team, right? There's gonna be the starting QB, whoever that is, we don't know yet. And that guy and that QB and that offensive line is gonna be handing the ball to Balage. So why wouldn't they get him some run with that unit, right? It doesn't make sense to have him with the backups because running backs aren't like that. They're, you know, the starting offensive line is a starting offensive line. Starting QB is a starting QB. Starting receivers are mostly the starting receivers. But the running backs, when the guy comes in to spell the other guy, he plays with the first team. So why do we care that he's getting reps with the first team? What does that matter? You know, if you're the coach, do you want both running backs that are going to get that project to get time to practice with the first team? Hey, I mean, I hope I I, I understand why why are they saying that now? Then I just don't understand Who's why. They? What is the point? Who's they? The head coach, the head floor has whatever. The new head coach said what he looked he like the the. He he came out and basically said that the the that Ballage, whatever however you pronounce his name looks like the favorite to start now. I that guy. Hear, I want I want the quote. I want to hear the quote. The that guy, quote. by the way, was tackled um uh, by the first man on something like. 43 out of 45 touches last year or something. He's not good. And Drake has like the craziest under the hood metric. So, I mean, I, it should be. All right. So you're just taking that. Your answer is you're not taking. No, you're I, I want to know. I want to hear the quote. I don't want to hear a secondhand rendition of a reporter's interpretation of the quote. I want to hear the exact quote. Okay. All right. Well, I don't have it in front of me. I just remember the new quote. Well, no, I mean, I, this stuff gets passed along. It's like a game of telephone. And... What did, was it Brian Flores that, that said it? Who said it? Yes, I believe Flores said something about him leading the, the candidacy for that. But, but I'll, I'll look it up afterward. I, I, I do not have it directly in lo- front of me. I'm looking you- at a uh, – what is this? This is, a, this is Florida Football Insiders. I don't know what this is. I don't know. I, I want to see you – know, O'Shea, who's O'Shea? Is he the offensive coordinator? Anyway, he said that uh, – we're, it's one we're still evaluating. It's something we talk about daily as a coaching staff. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, just, one, I just think maybe they'll, they'll evaluate and see talking. that Drake is better. Yeah, I found it, but he's talking on video, so it's going to be tough to translate right now. But all right, so your answer is you, you're not too worried about it. So 17th still for... I mean, for seventh, your 17th Drake. running back busts often in fantasy football, the 17th overall running back all the time. All the the time. 8th running back busts a lot. The 17th busts all the time. I guess I could die. I only gave him 213 carries. You love the Drake. What are you doing with the, the charter situation with Gordon and then Eckler and Jackson? Um, I have Gordon at 12. I have Eckler at 34. And I have Jackson. I moved him up, but he's still pretty low. Uh, 77 for Justin Jackson. Those all, those all seem fair. Um, what about uh, Tariq Cohen? Uh, it seems to me like he could lose some catches there with all the additions in Chicago. Small guy without like the upside, even if all the injuries happen to David Montgomery. So where he goes in drafts, I get it. PPR, I mean, I, I get why, but it's always like multiple rounds before I even consider him. That's what Jeff, we were just talking about this on the XM show about Cohen, and I moved him down a little. I gave him one fewer touchdown. But when you do projections to do the rankings – in full PPR, it's just hard to get rid of Cohen in the in the top twenty-five because he's going to catch like sixty-five plus, and he's going to get like eighty-plus rushes. 
And when you and he's very efficient at both. And when you do the numbers, if you give him like five total touchdowns, he's going to be a top 25 back. It's just impossible to get away from it. But I don't think you want to draft him there or you don't necessarily want to draft him there because there's no way he's a top 10 back. Zero chance he's a top 10 back. So even though his numbers project much more favorably than somebody like Sony Michelle on full PPR, not much more, barely more, or uh, Rashad Penny who's splitting carries, or David Montgomery who, you know, we don't really know exactly what his role is or how many passes he'll catch, or Daryl Henderson. Those guys could win you leagues, Penny, Montgomery, Henderson. Whereas Tariq Cohen is just going to be, you know, a nice guy to have if you've gone crazy receiver heavy, and Tariq Cohen will get you a lot of points consistently, but not he's not going to be a game changer. So I understand why you don't want to draft him to where he's projected. But if you're doing projections, even if you're stingy with him, he's, he's just like around the top 25. Yeah, I, it's always different. The projections versus rankings on draft-based ranks. I, I get it. Um, all right, last, last football thing I want to ask you about it, the, the injured guys. A.J. Green and Andrew Luck, what are you doing with them? I moved Luck down to eight. Um, I just... Yeah, me, me too. Exactly eight, actually. Yeah. I moved Russell Wilson, Newton, and Cam Ryan, and Matt Ryan ahead of him um, just because, I mean, the dude's got a calf injury. It's lingered from the, off, from the spring. It's not going away. It's a problem. He doesn't run that much anymore anyway. So, you know, he's still yeah. eight. And, and I guess in a QB, you know, one QB 12-team league, you can still take him as a top five guy and just pick up Phil Rivers just in case. But I don't know. It makes me nervous. And Luck's been banged up a lot in his career. He's just not really been a guy you can rely on for durability. Yeah, I have Brian one spot behind him and Kyler Murray, the one guy ahead of him. Um, and, and Lamar Jackson not far behind at 10. All those rushing guys with so much... So much more upside. But yeah, luck. This calf injury sounds like it's been three months. Something that that doesn't sound good. Um, not that I'd end up with any of these guys in a non superflex league anyway. But what about AJ Green? Uh, there has been some, a lot of puff pieces and a lot of hype really surrounding him. And apparently, a horrible field led to some torn ankle ligaments that's going to sideline him for multiple regular season games. That's, that's not good at all. I have him at 33 among receivers in PPR. And I think it's okay. about where I'm right, 36. Okay, I right ahead of Dante Pettis and Funches. It's sort of like, okay, do you want to get a guy, you know, <laughs> you want a guy who has upside, but, you know, nothing guaranteed, or a guy who's guaranteed as long as he's healthy? You know, that's kind of the, the choice. And I think that's a 50 50 choice. Yeah. What is that? Where does that land in? Like, what, seventh round ish? Yeah, like eighth, seventh, eighth round. You know, eighth. I think that's, that's about right. All right, good stuff. Dominated you on the Giants talk, and um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I we got a bet. Fifty board. bucks. Email me that. Twenty-two or higher, yeah. I get paid yeah. in points per game. I will. Um, uh, your boy Scott Adams uh, made the news. Uh, was curious to hear your opinion on that. Uh, it's obviously horrible. The Gilroy Gilroy's not far from me. That Gilroy shooting. I go take the kids to Gilroy Gardens. Just horrible. But um, I don't know. He was like he got accused of uh, advertising his app. Through this uh, travesty, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious your take. Tra- tragedy, <laughs> Adams. not travesty. Yes, yes. Tra- well, what's that too? Tragedy. Yes, it is what yeah. I meant. Um, but uh, it, the tragedy, and um, we've talked about Adams a few times. The travesty is your Giants to, argument. To the guy. That, that's that. This <laughs> okay. is a tragedy. Now, again, I don't care if Scott Adams turns out to be an asshole. It's not my problem. But I, he did do what he was accused of. He was. He said, if you are an eyewitness to this shooting you can could charge you could charge zero also but you know you 
you can come on his app and have people get your account from his app, basically, of what happened. And people said, you know, this is a for-profit app. You're profiting off of the death of, you know, young kid and other people that were killed in it. And they said, you're a monster. You're this and that. But, like, you know, his point was every news, every news station, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, all the regular news, they, they report, tra- you know, tragic shootings. They report all sorts of stuff. And they're for-profit entities. So it's not the only thing he does. He's not just an all-tragedy all shooting app. It's lots of other stuff that they do with the app. So he just said, yeah, I'm giving information directly to people. And if someone wants to charge for it, you can pay for it or not. And if it happens to be a firsthand account of this, then, you know, maybe you don't want to do it. Fine. You know, I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I kind of agree with him that it's sort of fake outrage. Like, so just don't use his app. You think that's not a proper use of it, or you don't think that that an eyewitness account of something like that is something that you would pay for, um, then don't use it. When you watch, when you watch it on CNN, the advertisers are paying for the time. CNN's getting paid to broadcast that stuff. I mean, you're, you're paying CNN for it by giving your attention to the advertisements. It's just more direct, but whatever. If you think that's a shitty model or gross or, you know, immoral, then don't, I don't know. I don't care. You know, it's not, to me, that's, I, I just don't see the, you know, I don't see it's like anything. And you think some of that backlash toward him is because he said some not so horrible he, things about Trump? He, right? No, he's he he defends Trump. He likes Trump. He's a Trump supporter, and people hate that. And the link to Gizmodo—I mean, that's such a hack piece. Like that piece is <laughs> such a hack job. It was like the writer. It's like dripping with disdain for anybody who would support. You know, it was already like you could just. See, it wasn't even like. Here's what here's what oh, he said. Oh yeah. Oh, it was personal. It's yeah, it was like it was like, yeah, it was like, like unnecessarily this, personal. This yeah. terrible person who supports Trump because he yeah. supports Trump and is one of his most prominent defenders did this horrible thing and what a disgusting person he is. You know, it was yeah. like that tone. And and that's just not it's not legitimate. So again, I, I I think I think I could understand how someone would think that was gross and not like him for it, but I don't know. This doesn't really it doesn't really get my blood pressure going. He didn't do the well, shooting. You know, there's a lot of uh, on Twitter like if you defend something that's bad or if you, you know, he didn't even def- he obviously wasn't defending the shooting. He was just saying this is if you're an eyewitness you can do this. If you agree with somebody who had a one view at one point that was bad, if you don't agree with somebody who's outraged, it's as though you did the thing about which the people are outraged. You know, it's like, "Oh, you did that now." No, no. It's, people just can't separate something associated with something and the thing itself. Even if you say something terrible, the worst thing, or you, you're totally insensitive about a tragic situation, you didn't do the thing that made the situation tragic, right? If like you're insensitive about something that's truly, even something that's truly horrible, that doesn't, someone might not like your insensitivity to it, but they would treat you as though you did the horrible thing yourself. And that's just such a wide gulf. Oh, yeah, you had an insensitive opinion on Twitter. That's very different than you did the thing about which you were an insensitive. I, I don't know if I'm being clear, but, like, if, if you can't understand the difference between, you know, like, murdering somebody and being insensitive about that, then you, you, just, you just don't see, you don't understand. You have no moral framework whatsoever. And sorry if I'm guilty of trolling you a little bit, sending you, passing you along that article. I don't care. I'm not, you, I, again, you you're doing, you're doing to me sort of as a joke what I'm describing is like, right. let's just, it's not, first of all, not only does Scott Adams not condone or have any involvement in the shooting, so he's not in that category. 
you're making me, since I've said, oh, listen to him, his views are interesting, Some, somehow agreeing with, you know, it's like a guilt by association <laughs> thing. And I'm like, first of all, I don't care. If you hate Scott Adams, that's fine. I don't care. I don't, I'm not defending yeah. Scott Adams. I'm just saying I see his point of view that why he thinks that's okay. And two, that I can also see the point of view that that's distasteful to people, but then big deal. Okay. So don't use his app. Don't, don't yeah. follow him. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not his representative. I don't care. Yeah. To be clear, in no way was that my motive me trying to, no, I know, but, but that's, but that, that is, that is yeah. it was like a joking sure. thing, but it was like, that's what happens on Twitter is like, right. if you, if you say, Oh, even if you say, you know, Glenn Greenwald who hates Trump was saying how much of a hoax, the mill, the Mueller thing, well, he didn't say it was a hoax. He said, there's no evidence that there was any collusion. And this is way before it became obvious that there's no evidence of any collusion and that it was the biggest dud of all time based on the hype. People were like, you're, you're a Trump supporter. You love Trump. He hates Trump. But just because he was agreeing with something that a Trump supporter would agree with, that made him, tr- not only did he support Trump, people, the vitriol was as though he were Trump, as though everything Trump did, he was responsible for. You know, there's this really weird thing that goes on. You're either, anything you do that signals that you're not part of the, you know, the tribe makes you the enemy. And it's just a really stupid thing that, uh, that is endemic now. And I, I kind of understand why, but if you do that kind of stuff, like you are just, to people who are not trapped in that sort of tribalist uh, delusion, you look like a fucking idiot. Like when you do that, you may to your tribe signal to your tribe like yeah I'm I'm on your team, but to anybody who's not caught up in that, which is a lot more people than admit it because they don't want to get pilloried on Twitter, you look like a moron, and I I don't know if people realize that that like people who aren't caught up in it see that kind of elision between you know oh well you agree with this thing that other people of that tribe agree with you're the enemy, I think most rational people look at that and like oh you're you're an idiot. You're acting like a child. You're not even, you don't even understand, you know, the, the possibility of having independent thoughts of, of having beliefs that these people agree with beliefs that those people agree with. You're just trying to be interested in the truth. They don't, they don't even, people who are just interested in the truth, look at you like you're a total idiot. I like it list. Um, so you watch any of the debates as we sit here recording nah. today, there's no. just been, there's no. been one night and I'm, I'm almost sure your answer was going to be no, but so you don't have any thoughts to be read up on it or anything. I mean, you just, not follow it, even though you, I don't know you have some certain people you're kind of rooting for. No. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of rooting for Tulsi Gabbard, but I, you know, she might be a total idiot as far as I know. I, I just am rooting for her because she's overtly and explicitly anti-military, uh, yeah, yep. military action. And since I kind of believe more and more as I get older that the government at the national level is simply doing harm. And that the only people that can really manage things government-wise are the more local level that actually know what's going on on the ground level. People who live in your neighborhood, people who understand uh, the needs of your neighborhood and their constituents, people that are accountable because they live next door to you and you're going to hear it if they screw things up. Those people should be managing your local affairs. And the further away you get from the local affairs, the less involvement they should have. There should be some basic national defense and a couple of things, but it should be minimalist. And the thing that is the most toxic taxing policy that affects everybody negatively has no interest in foreign, you know, it, the average citizen has, it's so detrimental to be in a foreign war for the average citizen. They have, it's draining their resources. It's, it's harming other people in your name. It's creating blowback. 
It's damaging the planet. It's bad in every way. It's morally, obviously, horrible. The average person wants nothing to do with that. And so the, the, the person who's running for president who's sort of like, I'm the least likely to have a catastrophic screw-up, um, that's who I'm going to vote for, basically. Yeah, I mean, all fair. Um, not that you care. My guy, Buttigieg, I thought came across the best, but I don't know if that matters as far as his policies. Are I, still think kind of a, I think he'll kind be of the finalist. Kind of a mystery. I think it'll be him, Bur- him or Harris, one of those two. And I really just yeah. like Harris. I don't like him either. He may be more dangerous in some ways. And then versus whatever progressive candidates left standing. And that's Bernie Warren. I don't think Warren's going to do it. I just don't think she has enough charisma. But Bernie Warren. They could just, Tulsa, why don't they just combine already? I mean, just announce that they'd run together, I guess. I mean, they just won't even say one negative thing about the other. Bernie definitely had some moments last night that were borderline comical. I mean, it was pretty, uh, there, there was some uh, entertaining stuff. But it's, you're not missing much. It's, the whole format is just kind of a mess. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, the the media is going to take control of the narrative and tell you it's going to be Harris or it's definitely not going to be Biden. I don't care what anyone says. That guy is, as I said, he makes Trump look like Winston Churchill. That guy is so out to lunch, but you know, it's going to be like Harris or, you know, Buttigieg or one of the progressive candidates. And, but they're going to make the narrative. They're going to spin it as who's, you know, possibly going to win and possibly not. And they're going to want you to think, you know, they want basically the news media, they've seeded the ground of what's right. And they're just going to try to get on what's possible. It's the same thing when, with like orbits last year, I, I was like, this is bullshit. This is wrong. And they were like, no, it's our policy, sir. Whenever a company says policy, they've moved the argument from what's correct, you know, what should be the case, what's best, what's fairest, what's optimal to what's possible. When they tell you it's their policy, they're not telling you that their, that doesn't mean that their policy is correct. It means it's not possible to do anything about this because it's our policy. So they're trying to get you to shift from what's right when you're like, this is bullshit, you're ripping me off. And they say, well, sir, it's our policy. That's not a retort to this is bullshit or this is unfair. That's just shifting the argument to another place, which is, well, it's just not possible. So let's, why are we bothering to argue about this? You see, how, you see why that's like a, a slick move by a company to switch to policy, right? Yeah, makes sense. Because a smart person, and I'm not one of them, obviously, learns <laughs> to give up on what's not possible, right? So, they, so it's over. It doesn't matter if you're right and they're wrong. It's not possible to do anything. So why are, you, why are we arguing about this? They want to move it because <laughs> they're losing that, that one argument. They're going to move it to the argument where they win. And that's exactly what the networks do. You might say, well, Bernie cares about the people. He wants these things. Or Tulsi Gabbard, you know, she's anti-war. Like, oh, they'll, they'll never win. Those people will never win. Let's talk about the possible candidates. That's what they're going to do. They're going to switch it to what's likely. Because why are we even talking about the impossible candidates? But what happened last time? What happened was Bernie did so well, he was a totally impossible candidate, and they told you he was impossible, and he did so well that they had to cheat to beat him. And that was with all the front-loaded primaries that Hillary had in the bag. That was with him you know, not being a total unknown, and you had to register in New York in October before anyone knew who he was, so he got screwed out of that primary too, and that was with, with them calling the race before California was even in, so that people didn't show up to the polls. They were cheating him, and the DNC, which was supposed to be neutral, was putting his thumb on the scale in favor of Hillary. They had to do all of that, for a, you know, for a, a candidate that was impossible, and then of course Trump was the beyond impossible candidate. There's no way he was going to win, and of course he won. So what it tells you is not only is it morally bankrupt to switch the conversation to what's right to what's possible, but it's also they're losing control of that. They don't even know what's possible anymore. They don't even have control. The policy, which is that we're going to cheat for the people we want, isn't even enforceable anymore. So whenever I say, oh well, Tulsi or even Buttigieg, who I don't like, I think Buttigieg is going to have a chance. 
whenever I hear, oh, they're, they're, it's impossible they would win. I know that that's bullshit. That's just, that's just what they want you to think so that you give up on what you actually want and shift to what's realistic. They don't even know what's realistic. Remember, Bernie wasn't realistic, but Hillary was. She was electable, but she wasn't. She's the one who lost. So don't ever listen to that shit. <laughs> all right, man. That, that all makes sense. That's very bleak outlook, though. I mean, I don't know what... No, it's not bleak. It. It's the opposite. Why, why is that bleak? No, I mean, so what's going to happen then? What, what is, what is going to be? No, no, why, why would you say that's bleak? I'm saying it's the opposite. I'm saying they're going to try to make it seem bleak, like we have a choice between two terrible candidates, gotcha. but it's not bleak. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Anything's gotcha. possible. Gotcha. They're right. going to try to gotcha. shift the argument to, don't worry about what you want or what's right or who's doing the right thing. Let's talk about what's possible. And I'm saying they don't have control over that anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, cool. All right, well, do you have a prediction between one of those, of uh, uh, who's going to emerge? I told you. I told you my original prediction was it's going to be Buttigieg, and it was going to versus one of the progressive candidates, and it was going to be nasty. But now Kamala Harris is early on done better than I thought. At least reportedly, she's clearly the corporate candidate. She's clearly the one the networks want. So I kind of think like she, you know, I don't know. I thought she was just so nasty, like with how she treated all those poor people, that was going to disqualify her. But maybe people don't give a shit about that. So she might win. It's it's either she or Buttigieg. Those are the two. On the corporate side, they're the two Hillarys, Hillary 2.0, that will get destroyed by Trump if they win. But those are the two that have no chance to win the election, but they have a good chance to win the Democratic primary and the corporate. If, if Harris just becomes too unlikable, then Buttigieg will be the fallback for them, in my opinion. Uh, and then the other side is going to be whoever among the progressives wins, whether it's Bernie or Warren or Tulsi and or Yang. And one of them is going to go down the wire the way Bernie and Hillary did, and they're going to cheat for the, the Buttigieg-Harris one, but it's not going to go down as well as it did last time, which it didn't go down that well in the first place. And so it's going to be a really ugly, divisive, nasty fight. And if they choose the progressive one, pro- the progressive one could beat Trump, but it's going to be tough because the uh, Democratic consulting DNC class is going to prefer Trump. So they're going to do everything they can behind the scenes to undermine that person because they're out of a job if a legit progressive comes in. And uh, so it's going to be hard for them to beat Trump. So I think Trump is a heavy favorite for a second term. And if the odds are 50-50, I think that's a great bet. I think he should be like 75, 80%. Yeah, I I can't argue with you. I took one of those political quizzes recently asking all the issues and rating them for importance and uh, Harris actually came up surprisingly high on my deal. So did Beto, actually. Who knows how real those dumb things are. But um, interesting stuff, Liz. Um, I don't have too much for you else other than I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I am a big Tarantino fan. Highly recommend it. The Bruce Lee, Brad Pitt scene was an all-timer alone. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Tarantino guy. But not, I usually do not go to movies opening weekend, but I made a point of it after I missed April 8 in theater and uh, – these days, you can pick your seat beforehand and they recline, and it's a much better experience. So, once upon a time in Hollywood, I definitely, definitely liked. Anything else you have to add, Liz? Uh, you had some good, uh, good stuff here. Not really. I don't know. I'm probably pissed off about five things I should say, but uh, I don't remember. Colorado <laughs> was nice, man. Colorado was a. If I, if I move back to the states, that's where I'm moving. Colorado. Everyone says that. Um, it's supposedly, yeah, some of the nicest cities in America. And it seems, uh, yeah, I need to get over there. But um, cool, man. Sounds uh, good times and uh, nice catching up with you. All right, man. Take it easy. Talk to you next week.